This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello, welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. This is my co-host, Kara Clank. <laughs> and this is my co-host, Lisa Traeger. Are we still doing this Freaky Friday intros? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite movie tropes. Um, in this podcast, we talk about an episode of Law & Order SVU, the true crime it's based on. And then we have a special guest from the episode because we're cool and important. So... <laughs> That's that. Um, so cool and important that we are recording today from different coasts. Lisa is in New York again, a jet setter. I'm in New York. I'm in my friend's closet slash Peloton room and there is a RuPaul <laughs> ride and I will be riding this week and oh, I cannot wait. That guy Cody does it, right? Doesn't he love um, RuPaul? Yeah, I, I just cannot wait to bounce around to uh, RuPaul songs. Um, <laughs> I truly can't wait. I don't know if I'm going to survive this New York trip. Um, I've already just taken shots of co- something called rum fire. <laughs> And on the bottle, it says overproofed. So um, well, I don't we'll know what, what happens. Means. I don't either, but it burned. She also sent me an email last night. You sent me an email last night that oh was God. like long with all these notes. And then at the bottom, it was like, I am realizing that I'm kind of drunk right now. So <laughs> <laughs> I forgot I sent that email till you just said it. <laughs> I didn't remember. No, I've been opening my phone and uh, seeing photos. I mean, I feel like I'm in college again, honestly. It's like I'm vaxxed. I'm on the subway. I'm waving. I'm giving like. Yeah, I'm giving people in the streets money. I don't care. No, it's exciting. I'm going in August and I can't wait to get back to New York. No, I want to move back. It's uh, not good. I You're do have not to say, moving back. Not right away, <laughs> but oh, just let's be rich. I know. It's just that's the thing with that's the thing, though. You go back to New York and it's like Stockholm syndrome. You forget about all the bad stuff. You go back and you have these honeymoon periods where you're like, oh, especially right now. It's like springtime in New York. Like, oh, my God, it's magic. Like. Of course you want Magic. to move back. Um, and I was here, I'd like to say, I'm um, filming my friend Sam Jay's new HBO Max show. Oh, and yes. That comes that came out on the 21st. So that was the premiere episode. I don't know what episode I'm in, but check it out because they're, I'm doing something perverted. So, oh, wow. Stay yeah, tuned. I'm so excited to watch it. Yeah, I'm doing some really um, wild things on this show. I think it's going to be an amazing show. So check out sam j it's called pause with sam j right yeah yeah p-a-u-s-c not a pause like pause up for (laughs) no one thought pause up for lady gaga (laughs) nobody (laughs) thought that but she's amazing and it was an incredible set and i got to see a lot of friends and it was nice to work again you know yeah Another show I want to mention, I'm not in at all, but I think you guys might be interested. I watched all of Shrill and the guy who plays Ed Kemper in Mindhunter is like a love interest of 80 on Shrill. So that was like exciting. And his voice is the same. And I'm like, wait, aren't you a murderer, scary person? And he's like, kind of (laughs) a nice guy. (laughs) A good guy that lives in Portland. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. Oh, yeah. I'm like dying. I got to get to Shrill. Well, once I start uh, my nighttime routines with a new baby, I'll be watching Shrill. Wait, I need to tell you about this. So I I think you just heard about this, but we've been getting like 
a thousand DMs. Everyone is telling us we tweeted this, um, of course, but everyone is talking about this little girl in Florida who defended herself. She not only escaped a kidnapping attempt, but she was able to basically brand her attacker with blue slime so that when the police caught him, they I could positively identify that this was the guy who did it because she watches SVU. She's 11 years old and she's been watching SVU for a long time. So all you moms that follow us and her or daughters that follow us and have said i started watching svu way too young i don't think it was young enough like we are seeing svu in these streets saving lives and i'm loving it yeah and marishka i guess reached out to her and um she's gonna get an svu award because she did it i mean let her have a little walk-on part let her find a body <laughs> come on where is the body um <laughs> also you probably haven't seen this yet because you are a busy bee but i was on instagram sarah jessica parker did just post there is gonna be a hocus pocus 2 coming out 2022 i already knew about that you did yeah but i wasn't how? allowed to tell anyone because well, my how did friend, you know i my friend was approached to write it and didn't but <laughs> wow you kept it a secret you dumb bitch i you know what Le you know what lisa it wasn't even me keeping it a secret it's like i knew and i i just forgot i just forgot to tell you i should have told you and i just it, i filed it away because she was like please don't say anything and then i was like oh maybe it won't happen you know and then here we go it's happening wow all right well 2022 oh my gosh lisa <laughs> the countdown is on the countdown is on, baby. That's amazing. Oh, I'm glad they got all three of them back on board. It's like with the Sex and the City reboot, I, I've t you know my thoughts. I'm having a really hard time getting on board without Samantha. Oh, but they just hired someone for Sex and the City from Grey's Anatomy. Sarah Ramirez or something like that. Sarah Ramirez? Yeah. She got cast. To be the Samantha? I don't know if she's the Samantha. She's probably going to be a gay character, but uh -huh. she will be a new friend. I don't think she's going to put on a blonde wig and pretend. She's also an SVU alum. Oh my God. Can you imagine if they just like <laughs> cast someone as Samantha? I meant like as the Samantha, as like the... <laughs> You know, more sexually free friend, not somebody going, hi, it's me, Samantha. <laughs> well, they also did a study and like Charlotte was the most prude, but she still fucked over 70 guys on the run of that show. Are you serious? Yeah, like they did the numbers like they're all sluts. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I have the merch that says, are we sluts? Oh, and we found out our Carly who are the did we already tell them this? I played tennis with Carly Jean Andrews, who did our logo. We went on a friend date and I got to meet her in person. We didn't tell them this. I don't know. Maybe it's I, not interesting. It's, enough, I don't know. But if we played tennis. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? No, it is weird to socialize freshly with people. And um, I like, I don't know. It is pretty wild to start over again and be in public and um, be at people's houses. And I could tell people are like, OK, our hang is done. But I'm like, I'm not leaving yet. Yeah. I'm not ready to stop talking, so <laughs> I'm pouring another one. Yeah, it's um, it's fun. I went to like an indoor dinner last night. Me and my husband, they're like another couple, and then his parents who were in town and who like to do it up when they come to town. We went to a really nice place and had like a really long dinner. Like I had to keep texting my babysitter being like, just a little bit later, I didn't realize we were getting dessert and coffee. No, yeah, I heard that our friend's parents love a good time, love a love a nice dinner, love a throw down credit card. Like they like to yeah. party. They're a martini steaks. Yeah. 
Yeah, and there were a lot of drinks, a lot of drinks. And you know what I didn't appreciate? <laughs> the sommelier at the place who does the wine was like bringing out glasses and there were six of us and he brought out five glasses. And it's like, yes, I know I am nine and a half months pregnant, but I will decide if I'm having a glass of wine or not. You do not need to only bring five glasses. So I made him bring me a glass. Was he pissed or no? <laughs> no, he was like, oh, oh, so like, yeah, he just like brought me one. Um, this actually reminds me of something else, but that I would like to talk about the fucking horrific abortion bill that was just signed by the governor in Texas. And then my friend Julia, who is here was, um, tweeted like, I wonder if all these freedom fighting Austin centered comics who are all about freedoms and no laws and no censorship are going to say anything about this fucking abortion bill or do anything while they're in that state. Like all of them just wave, uh, like keep going on and on about cancel culture and then actual horrific laws that inhibit people's lives and safety are happening. And I don't think they're going to say a fucking word. All right. And to clarify, this is a law that makes it so that like you can't have you cannot have an abortion after six weeks, I believe. Is that correct? Yes. And you can't even get in at a doctor until you're seven or eight weeks to confirm. And anyone can sue you. Like if someone like you can start, you can sue the person who drives you to the clinic. You can sue uh, the receptionist. Like anyone can sue anybody if they find out you are at all a part of an abortion. Wow. It's like truly the most heinous like act. Um, And before the election of 2016, I remember a lot of me and my friends were like super concerned and scared about Roe v. Wade and all of this happening. And everyone was like, you're hysterical. Shut up. Relax. Give him a shot. Like nothing will happen. You guys are going wild. And it's like, oh, look, all of the things that we were scared of happening five, six years ago are now could happen. Yeah. And Mississippi is the same. I mean, it's going to be state to state. I mean, it's just going to be people crossing state lines to try to get abortions now. It's fucking crazy. And what happened to all the anti-mask people with my body, my choice? How is that different? They're just all really big hypocrites and it's really upsetting and I'm just scared for everyone. And I, I don't even know, do I hope for the best? It's like we have all these justices and uh, judges everywhere that are out of their fucking minds and people are going to die from this in horrific ways. Yeah, no, it's it's fucking tragic. But, you know, hopefully Joe Rogan won't get canceled. Like fucking it's so annoying. Yeah. Hopefully white men will still be able to speak their truth. The balls of that man. You just made one hundred million dollars on your own show and you move to a place to not pay fucking taxes. And then you're talking about like, are they going to come for me? It's like you get paid millions to talk. How are you so deluded? It is so frustrating. Well, he's speaking up for his brogans, right? He's speaking up for his, um, his followers, you know, man, they need their voices heard. Lisa, we need to hear their hot takes on fucking Bitcoin and abortion. Oh, you know what's terrible. I have a diamond tattoo and it has BTC. It's like an inside thing with my friend and I, people think it's a Bitcoin tattoo. People have been coming up to me going Bitcoin. And I'm like, what the fuck? And so I have to get it covered up. No, you don't. Oh, my God. People think I have a Bitcoin tattoo, Kara. That's so fucking funny, Lisa. Also, we do have to mention um, that was a funny video you sent me of Rosie. You were trying to have Rosie bond with your future baby. Yes. It's, and I put Rosie. it on our Instagram. I put it on our Instagram <laughs> and I will save it in the mention it all highlight if people want to see it. But I was basically like pointing to my tummy and going like, hey, Rosie, who's coming next week? Who's coming next week? Like and like making her look at the baby. And she just like looks me in the eyes and like grins and goes, Lisa, 
Like she's got you on the mind all the time. I it's liked crazy. when you went, oh my God. And I, I went, keep oh saying my it God. like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of babies, this um, is a sort of kid centric episode of SVU. Let's get right into it and get going for today. All right. Let's get going into the woods, guys. Today we're doing Glasgow Man's Wrath, which is season 16, episode six. So we open up on like home video footage of a little girl sleeping. And then, like, her mattress gets tipped up. She falls out of bed. It's, like, her older sister Mia and her friend that are kind of, like, pranking her. And then Mia's friend Perry is videotaping them. The older girls seem like they're around 12, and the younger girl is maybe 9 or 10. The whole movie then kind of switches to them, like, being witchy, right? Like, you're having some kind of, like, witchy time, and they're like, it's November 1st, the day after Halloween, and they're about to do a ceremony, now they're outside on the street, like with their little backpacks. They're at the entrance of Inwood Hill Park. Um, Inwood, if you're wondering, is the neighborhood at the very tippy top of Manhattan, like right before you cross over into the Bronx. And I've actually been there. It's super, super cute. They film a lot of stuff up there to try to make it look like suburbs because like it's very there's very cute little streets with houses and stuff like I, w- I went to a shoot once there that was on this like adorable little street where all the houses look the same. Um, So anyway, they're making their spooky vlog and about how they're talking about how they're going to go into the park to find Glasgow man um, and by dawn and their journey will begin. The girl videotaping Perry is trying to like freak out the little one whose name is Zoe. And he's like, oh, he likes the little ones about Glasgow man. And then they like hear a sound. They start running and we're just it's just very Blair Witchy found footage. Like we're just seeing them kind of run. And it's like it is pretty creepy. And then suddenly, like, they, you see Zoe go down and it's like, he's got Zoe. And the camera's on the ground, like, just obstructed by leaves. I'm like, does did found footage exist before Blair Witch? Like, Blair Witch is found footage. Yeah? I know. And then, and then paranormal, like, all the paranormal activities. But that's post. I feel like Blair yeah. Witch changed the game for cheap filmmaking. So true. And that came out in 99, right? I remember me and my brother-in-law went to go see it. I went to go see it, Lisa. I was working at summer camp. I knew so no TV. I've got no internet. I've got nothing. And my brother had told me about the movie before I went to camp and was like, yeah, it's real. Like they found this footage of these kids like that, that were never found again. And so when I went to go see it, I like fully thought it was real. Like it was the most terrifying movie going experience of my life. Um, so just I so don't, you know. I remember not being scared enough, to be honest. Wait, but you're younger than me. I was like 19 when I saw that. <laughs> weren't you like 12? You weren't scared at all? No, because I was ready to be so scared. And I was kind of disappointed. I remember being like, eh, and my brother-in-law was so scared. I remember my brother-in-law and I went to go see the Hillary Swank movie about like the plagues, like the Egyptian, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like there was locusts <laughs> and stuff. And I remember him jumping and going insane. And I'm like, this is humiliating for you, bro. <laughs> Um, I have been known to scream like a cartoon character in horror movies in the theater, but that one, I've just scared the shit out of me because I thought it was real. No, for sure. I've screamed at lesser things. I'm not a tough guy. Like I screamed at the gift on a plane. And oh, the my- gift is freaky. <laughs> I've, I remember screaming at the ring. I, we saw us together. I screamed. Yes. You were 
a bundle of nerves during us. I feel like I was scared. I screamed during. Yeah, I will scream, but maybe I didn't scream as much as a youth. I don't know. Blair Witch was a disappointment, but I'm impressed with their. Um, if, I don't know, like uh, ingenuity. Yeah. Yes. Like they were on the frontier of the found footage stuff. So. Now, at the top of Act One, it's regular TV again. We're not looking at the footage anymore. It's sunrise. Rollins and Carisi are on the scene. A bird watcher has found Zoe, who's being loaded into an ambulance, and she's been stabbed a bunch of times. Carisi is going to talk to the bird watcher, but first he's like, any homeless around here? And the uniformed police officer's like, what do you think? And he's like, go round them up. And I'm kind of like, not a great look that you like immediately are like, it's the unhoused, you know, like... Give it a second. Like, I don't necessarily think unhoused people are just wandering the parks to stab children. Um, so now they're talking to the bird lady. Again, more birds on SVU. We will get to the bottom of this. Like, I will ask Neil Bear or somebody, like, what is always going on? There's bird watchers, bird owners. It's just a lot of bird stuff happening on the show all the time. Maybe because they're just always out and about looking, paying yeah. attention. Those are the people that, like, have a camera, I guess. So we're talking to the bird lady and she said she saw a guy come out of the woods. He was huge and hulking and standing over the girl's body. She said she shooed him off, but she also took photos and she's like, they're digital. Very cute. Um, so now we're at the hospital and they're looking at the pictures on the phone that are like kind of blurry. Um, and Rollins, we get a little we get a little glimpse into the personal lives where Rollins asks Amaro, like, how was California? Because at this point, we know that his wife, Maria, and his daughter, Zara, have moved to California. Um, and he's like, it was confusing. Zara's thriving, but like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, California's great. You know, of course she's thriving. She loves the sunshine. She probably loves it here. I'm sure she's into green juice now. Um, so then the doctor comes out, the one who's been uh, examining Zoe, and that is Dr. Darby Wilder, played by the most beautiful woman in the world. Yeah, she's so beautiful. We've talked about her before, but she, her her real name is Ivana Kopacz, right? I'm probably saying her name wrong. I apologize. She's been in 10 episodes of SVU, but this is her first one. So she first appeared in season 16 and I believe has been in season 16 through 21. So we'll see if she pops up this season in 22. She says Zoe's lucky to be alive. She had all this head trauma, plus one of her stab wounds was millimeters from her femoral artery. Um, and she is out of surgery, but she lost a lot of blood. So now these two women rush up to Rollins and Amaro. These are Zoe's mothers. And they want to know if Mia is there too, because they, to their mind, Mia and Zoe both went to a sleepover at Perry's house. And Perry is a single mom who is not answering any calls or texts. But there, the mom's tracker app says that the girls' phones are inside Perry's house. So Rollins and Amaro had previously been debating whether to call Olivia because she's home on like her one day off with Noah. And they decide ultimately they have to call her because now two young girls are missing. Now we go to Olivia's apartment and we see that this is like her day with Noah. This is the baby Noah that I stand. Okay, I love this cute little chubby toddler Noah. He's just a little puffball with a lot of hair. I love him. I wish they could have just like kept rotating babies and she had like a Benjamin Button like Noah that never grows up because you all know how I feel about older Noah. So then she while she's playing with Noah, she gets the call from Rollins and Amaro and she's like, yeah, let me just call my sitter. I don't really understand why they have to bother her. Like, it doesn't really seem like. Well, it's an active chase. There's two missing girls. They need to find yeah, the kids. That's true, I guess. I just it's a big like deal. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, you guys know how to handle this. How long have you guys been on the squad? Like you got to tell your lieutenant. I do 
get a living. Na- I don't understand this nanny that's just going to show up on Sunday in the middle she of the day. She has a super nanny. This because like later, I think the nanny's name is Lucy. And she's just like, oh, it's 4 a.m. Lucy, can you pop over? Like, we've got a Vic. Like, it's crazy how flexible Lucy is. Um, I hope she's getting the coin. So when they get to Perry's apartment, Rollins and Amara are coming up the stairs. They come upon Perry's mom, Barbara, who is seemingly being attacked right outside her apartment door. They pull weapons. The guy's like, I'm on the job, state police. And they were just doing like a sexy, rapey role play, I guess. I don't know. It was like very weird to me that that's like the moment that the cops get there is when they're just like, playing break in it seemed weird um so she doesn't really understand why the cops are looking for her kid and it's like have you not checked your phone in 24 hours like they they said they've been texting her and she's not answering so it's like you're on just like a date with your guy overnight date and just not checking your phone even though you have a teenage kid sorry i'm being a judgy mom right now but that just seems weird i'm looking at my phone constantly yeah kara but it's not always for parenting that you're staring at your phone no, but when I'm away from Rosie, I literally am like looking at my phone just because I know my husband's going to text me going, she's having a meltdown. <laughs> like, and I'm going to have to like do some kind of triage over FaceTime. But I'm just saying like, it is kind of weird to have like a 13 year old daughter who's home with a sitter and you just haven't looked at your phone in 12 hours. Cause like these kids have been gone all night. I just wanted to call you out and your phone patterns. <laughs> you think I look at my phone too much? You look at it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I look at it a lot. Yeah. We're all looking at it a lot. <laughs> she Okay, so they get into the apartment. They don't see the girls. There's no sign of struggle. They call Perry's cell phone. It starts ringing from inside the hamster cage, and that's where all three of the phones are. And here's where we find out that Perry just turned 13. Mia is 12. So they're just like, these are just little, I mean, like, barely teens. Um so Olivia's now at the precinct. She's pissed they didn't call her. She's like, we got one girl stabbed, two missing, and they really don't have that much to go on. Just some blurry photos of, you know, this man that the bird watcher took. And then on top of that, every cop in the city is working the New York City Marathon because it's the it's Marathon Sunday. And then Zoe is awake. So we go over into Zoe's exam room so she can explain what's going on. She gives us the whole sleepover scam. It's the classic. I mean, it's basically what we saw in Mean too, right? Like. I mean, mean they changed the answering machine, but this one was just like, I texted pretending to be the one mom. And then they texted pretending to be another mom, basically saying that they were sleeping at Perry's house while Perry's mom was out. But Perry told her mom that she was sleeping at those girls house. So, um, blonde mom is getting, there's a blonde mom and a brunette mom and the blonde mom's getting really worked up. So they got to like, take her out of there. So They basically ask Zoe, like, what happened? And she's like, well, Perry and Mia wanted to go into the park at night, the day after Halloween, like they thought the spirits would be out, zombies, et cetera. They left at midnight. They said Perry had a camera. And then Zoe says, he caught me, knocked me down. And they're like, who are you talking about? And she's like, it was the Glasgow man. So that is this figure who they were trying to meet, but then who also attacked Zoe. So the cops are all gathered about to search. They're looking for a big guy, possibly with a scar on his face and an eye patch. You can tell immediately because they're all wearing sailor hats that these are cadets in the police academy. They had to call him the junior varsity because um, all the other cops were working at the marathon. And um, they I didn't find- catch that. That's funny. Yeah, they find kind of like a circle of sticks, very Blair Witchy. Um, and then that right near there, they find Zoe's backpack. And then they find this sort of little cave. And they, one of the cadets just saw a guy run in there. 
So he comes out eventually growling, like holding a stick, like saying like just like, you know, and they tase him. And Rollins and Carice are being like extra nice to this guy. They're just like, stop tasing him, like leave him alone. And it's like, okay, this is not realistically how the cops would ever treat an unhoused person or a person dealing with them with mental illness who was like having a confrontation with the cops. But it's still selfish because they need him to find the girls. Sure. So they can't they they can't tase the shit out of him because they need him to chat. Right. True. But they are also SVU. Yes. And they're very patient and kind with him kind of the entire time, which I just like feels very SVU the show to me and not necessarily real life. Um, But they've got this guy down handcuffed. They're going to bring him in. So they bring Perry's mom and her horny boyfriend into the precinct. They show her the suspect. She's never seen him before. So she starts crying, being like, we lost them. They're dead. Like she's freaking out. We get the rundown on who this guy is. His name is Charlie Dorsey. He's 36. He, uh, you know, has been spotted around the neighborhood collecting cans. He was a frequent flyer at the state asylum, according to Amaro, but they turned him loose when they got shut down. Then he stopped taking his meds. Then he stabbed a guy in the kidney in a shelter and then got three years in Attica, was released two years ago, met with his parole officer one time and has been off the grid ever since. So, you know, this is like a, just a person who is living on the streets without any kind of medical supervision and, and probably needs a little bit of help. Okay. They're talking about this guy being let out of the state asylum. And of course he, he went on to like reoffend. and Carisi's like, I mean, you can't be surprised when you unscrew the lid of a salt shaker and then act surprised when it spills all over the table. And I'm like, can I get a job? This is not a good metaphor. It's not funny. And it's just like, who's unscrewing a salt shaker and leaving it on the table? It's like, what are you? Pranksters. Pranksters. That's what they let him out of his. They let him out of the state asylum as a prank. And he stabbed a guy in a kidney. So I think the prankster won. Um, so, yeah, I just I was like, there's better room for a better metaphor here. So no weapon on him. They're testing his clothes. Uh, the cave is pretty tidy. Of course, you noticed how tidy the cave was. No, that's what they said. Oh. I was impressed when I saw, saw it later. When I saw it later, I was like, oh, my God, he keeps it so clean. <laughs> um, So. They're talking about searching for these girls in the woods, but Amaro's like, the woods are really dense. It's the last primeval forest in the area. And this is true. I looked it up. Uh, So this is in Wood Hill Park, which is part of one of, uh, which is Manhattan's only primeval forest. And a primeval forest is basically just a forest that's been mainly untouched. So there's like a weird moment where Carisi and Amaro are like butting heads. Did you notice this? We're like, oh, I noticed it, and I was like, wow, we don't really get them that much together, right? Like, yeah, it's kind of a rare treat. There is this like weird moment where Carisi and Amaro are kind of having like a little bit of like a dick measuring contest of like, let me take a run at this guy. Uh, I actually have a pretty good relationship with him, and then it's like Amanda, and then Olivia's like, Amanda, pick which one of your boyfriends you think is better. <laughs> that was shady. Um, yeah, Olivia knows how to drum up some drama. Um, so Charlie is definitely kind of having like a paranoid mental health event when they go in to speak with him. Like he's sort of how going from howling like a dog to telling them he knows he's on their watch list. He said he saw a missile shoot down the plane that presumably Sully Sullenberger landed and that like they know that he knows the truth about Sully's 
flight. And that's why he's on this watch list. So Olivia promises her phone doesn't have lasers in it and then shows him a picture of the girls. And he says he's never seen any of these girls before. But then they show him a picture of him picking Zoe up because there's a picture of him holding Zoe. And he says he does remember her, that she smelled like strawberries and that he found her so he could kind of move her away from his area because he knew he would be accused of stabbing her. And um, he was trying to be the last good Samaritan in this dying society. And they're like, well, you know, you did save her in a way. Um, But he says he doesn't know about the other girls, but you guys should know everything because you're filming me. So he basically says he has found this device in his dwelling that is that the cops planted on him and that that is what they're using to surveil him. A real munch vibe. Yes, it's a very munch vibe. Munch is like, I've heard of weirder things. So they're going to go check out the the device. And he's like, I'm going to need my eye patch back for that. And he's like, don't. <laughs> and he says he has like a really touching. He's like, don't threaten me with medication. Just treat me like a man. So it's like kind of a. When I had pink eye, but still wanted a party in my early 20s, I did go out with an eye patch. With pink eye? Yeah, my friend Choxy bought me a pink eye patch with a butterfly on it. Lisa, I appreciate the fashion <laughs> moment, but I think you're supposed to let pink eye like breathe. <laughs> I know, but I used to get it all the time for some reason. And so I just needed to go out. <laughs> you know what? If we keep this in the podcast, people are going to say the reason you get pink eye all the time is because you're not washing your hands after you go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure you want that info out there, Lisa? <laughs> yeah, but also I haven't had pink eye in like over in like a decade. Yeah, yeah. But I had outdoor, sh- I had shows last night and I did go, I mean, it's over guys, right? Like I stopped washing my hands and I got laughs both times. So I think, <laughs> I think everyone's not washing their hands now. I think everyone's well, over not it. To no the one's degree, counting happy birthday anymore. Not to, yes. And not to the degree that we were like, the minute we walked in the door, like before I even touched Rosie, I was like washing my hands. I'm definitely, I've definitely lost that discipline. My favorite is like, when we all couldn't get wipes and then I found like through a friend that we can get wipes from uh salon websites, um, like to clean tanning beds and hair studios. And so all of us bought jugs of these wipes. I have and- two <laughs> yes. massive ones that like one of them is unopened. One of them has like maybe 10 wipes removed from it. Like it's it was just- like over, like we got them too late in the pandemic process and we all just have these salon wipes, tons of them, <laughs> like our whole I friend just- group. I literally this past weekend, I've had them on the counter, like ready to sanitize. And I'm like, I think it's time to put these away. I just put them into a cabinet. I'm like, goodbye. Goodbye, sweet. uh, I've been putting that jug in suitcases. Like every time I've gone home to Skokie and back to L.A., I'm like, I got to get my salon wipes. And then they're (laughs) never used. It's so big. I can't believe you traveled with it. Anyway, um, so now we're back at Charlie's um, cave with Charlie's help. And he tells them where to find, quote unquote, quote this device and like he keeps asking carisi to like switch his eye patch so that like people like can't see him or like he can't get hurt it's it's sort of like a endearing little thing about charlie and then um he's like okay thank you we found the device let me take you back in rollins is like i'll stay here and guard your cave i mean she's bluffing obviously she's going to search through all the stuff she finds a bunch of bloody knives So back at the precinct, we find out that there's still no trace of the two girls and that Charlie has told them that the knives are for hunting and fishing. And he claims that the blood on them is from bluefish. Now, Teru, 
has is moving quickly. They have the device and it's the video camera from the girls. So I don't know. I got the impression that Charlie had thought that that device had been planted in his cave like a long time ago. But I guess it was just the night before, like when these girls went missing. I, I really don't know. Get the timeline sometimes with these things. So they are able to take off video off this um, like sort of smashed up camera. There's video of the girls talking about how tonight Glasgow man's going to meet them and take them to his mansion and all this stuff. And they're like, Zoe didn't tell us any of this. So at the hospital, Zoe's clamming up. She's like, I can't tell you. I already broke the pact. It's like, your sister is missing. You You've been bitch. stabbed. Your sister is missing. Your moms are going nuts. The mom's like, drop, cut the shit, honey. Tell everything. So Zoe um, thinks that Glasgow man will kill Perry and Mia if he finds out that grownups know about this. So immediately, like, that's a red flag with any, like, little creepy meme thing that kids are into. It's like, oh, only kids can know about it. Mm, that's not going to be, that's not going to work out well. She explains that if Glasgow man likes you, you get to live in his mansion. No rules, no school. I mean, it sounds pretty cool. Lisa. Yeah. You down? I'm down with a mansion with no rules, <laughs> a mansion, no rules, no school. I'm in. Um, and that there are portals to other realms inside the mansion. And, uh, in the video, they'd been talking about a map. And so they're like, well, where did the map come from? And, uh, Zoe's like, oh, from Leslie Perry's babysitter. Plot twist, Leslie is a boy. Um, so they go to Leslie's apartment. He ha is kind of just like this nerdy dude, and he's got all these drawings up on his wall. And he's wearing a Glasgow Man sweatshirt, which I kind of like. Yeah, I want Glasgow Man. Merch. I was like, I would totally get a Glasgow Man sweatshirt. Um, so he, they're like, tell us about Glasgow Man. And he's like, Glasgow Man isn't real. So they show him a picture of Charlie. He says, oh, yeah, I know him. I bring him food and he tells me crazy stories and the kids call him Glasgow, man. I just took it and ran with it and like amped the story up for entertainment. They treat him like a full on deviant criminal. And I'm like, he's clearly like a sweet nerd. I don't yes. get their aggression towards him. Like I was thinking the same thing. I was like, you all guys need to calm down. They start ripping his shit apart. And it's like he's. He's a good, I don't know. I, it confused me. And I know they have to rush because they want to find these girls. But I was not into how mean they were to him. He clearly is a chill dude. And he has like, an. it's like, I, I think even since 2014, that kind of stuff has become more mainstream, just like graphic novels and, you know, spooky, meme type of stuff where it's like, that doesn't necessarily mean you're like a deviant who kidnapped two kids. Like. You just are into my husband's into that stuff. He's not kidnapping anyone as far as I know. Um, he, no, he would not be able to be kidnapping are without you, you knowing without me knowing he can barely eat at Arby's without me knowing. OK, so Perry, uh, he, he basically explains he's like Perry likes scary stories. I started telling them these stories. I'm trying to turn it into a graphic novel because then they find this picture of like basically the three girls and they're like have blood on them and they look spooky. And it's like, yeah, cause he turned the little story he told them into artwork. It's not that that's not a crime. So they're like, where's the map? Olivia starts like ripping things off the wall and he caves cause he doesn't want them to like destroy all his work. I don't know why he wouldn't just say before where he thought the entrance might be, but he basically says it's like an entrance that he created in his mind that would be up river somewhere and they talk about Spite and Devil Park, which I hope I'm saying the right way. It's in the Bronx. 
it's right when you cross over from Manhattan into the Bronx. Um, and so that's where they head. They head to this park and they're um, searching for the girls. They enter an abandoned building. First, they see a knife on the ground. Then they see a dead cat. And then Amaro finds this like abandoned room that has like, you know, vines all over it and breaks down the door and uh, finds the girls lying on the ground, bleeding, barely conscious. I mean, they're talking. They're like, help us. But they're not they're not fully conscious. Um, and they say, who did this to you? And Perry goes, Glasgow, man. He said he was coming back to bleed the devil out of us, but he never did. Scary. Okay, so now we're in the hospital. Mia is giving her account. She seems fine. She's not even like in a hospital bed. She's like sitting on a hospital bed fully clothed. So I don't know if Mia's stab wounds were just kind of like shallow. Like she's not even in a hospital gown. She said they were in the woods. Glasgow man saw them and started chasing them. She said she went back and saw him standing over Zoe's body, just stabbing and stabbing her. And then he went after her and Perry and said if they didn't go with him he'd bleed them out right there so he covered Zoe with leaves and left her there and now they're talking to Perry getting her story and you can tell Olivia kind of clocks that they're using some of the same language so like they like almost like they rehearsed their stories or were coached in some way ballistic that's kind of what stopped her also I do need to add like while they're talking to Perry in the hospital there is a the mom's hand with like red long nails is on her shoulder and it is the most aggressive hand acting I've ever seen in my life. Like I couldn't stop looking at this hand. It's giant. The nails back. are so acrylic and she's like petting her and unwrinkling the shirt. Like it's just like a full um, what's the Adams family hand. Yes, cousin. It's like so much. <laughs> and you don't and you only see the back of her head on her hand for like 10 minutes. And I'm just like it was distracting for me. Wait, I'm also humiliated. It's not cousin. It, it's thing. Oh, okay. I can't believe I said cousin it. Cousin I mean, it is the I hair. With it. I don't care. Cousin it is the hair. I just love the Adams family and I don't want to embarrass myself. Well, when you just said cousin it, I went, oh yeah, the bald one. Like, <laughs> that's Vester. <laughs> Thing is the hand. Boop, 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 boop. Um, okay, so Perry says that Glasgow man tied me up and they're like, but he didn't tie you up. And she's like, I was fighting him off. It's like, okay, so you're, you're stronger. What? You're like smaller than Mia. This is, that not, this is none of this is starting to make sense. And they're like, oh yeah, Glasgow man heard helicopters and got spooked. And so he stabbed Perry, killed the cat and took off. And she heard him kill the cat. She didn't see it. And, um, she says this all happened last night, Sunday. And then she identifies Charlie from a lineup on the phone and says, oh, my God, how did you get this close to him? So at the hospital now outside of this room, beautiful doctor is back and she tells Rollins that they have dehydration and exposure. They had food in their backpacks, mostly candy, which I love because I feel like I plan to run away like two or three times, made it to the top of my driveway and then was like, it's too windy. I should try another day. And I feel like all I ever had was like, a package of Dunkaroos and some fruit snacks. And I was like, this will last me. Yeah. Week, I love, you know? um, one of my favorite things is kids with little suitcases or like their <laughs> own bags. And it's like, what do you got in there? I want to know. <laughs> What'd you pack? It's cute. Yeah. So she explains that the stab wounds on Perry were all on the left side, mostly arms, no organs, and they're not as deep as Zoe's. She also says that these wounds are fresh, like only an hour or two old. And that she had no defensive wounds. 
So Rollins, you know, meets up in the hallway with uh, Liv and Amaro, and they're basically like, the timeline on this is way off. They've had Charlie in custody since Sunday afternoon, so there's no way that these that he could have done it this because these wounds are fresh. I love the confidence of children thinking they can mastermind a whole thing. Like, I know. Against a New York City police. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so Rollins has checked their social, checked their texts, and she's like, they don't really have that much up there. They don't have that many other friends. And it's just like a ton of texts back and forth between me and Perry about probably about Glasgow, man. And they're, they're like in their own world, she says. So they talk to Zoe and they're like, any reason why Perry or Mia would want to hurt you? And she's like, well, maybe Perry, she pushed me down one time, but Mia would never hurt me on purpose. We're sisters. We love each other. It's like really cute. She's in a couple other movies. This girl, she's very sweet. Um, the knife in that they found in the gatehouse where they found the two girls only has Perry's prints on it. So now they're basically have confirmed she stabbed herself. The knife that stabbed Zoe has DNA from Charlie, Perry, and Mia. So Charlie was telling the truth. Like, he didn't do this. I think because, I don't know why that leads them to believe that he's definitely telling the truth since his DNA is on the knife, but also the girls is on the knife. So um, they're like, should we call Barba? This is a bit of a blue balling for the Barba Brigade because they go, should we call Barba? And then they're like, no. And they don't call Barba and he never shows up in this episode. So I could see how some of you would be upset. Um, but Olivia explains both the girls are under 14. Zoe lived. I'll call Corporation Council, which I looked that up. And the Corporation Council is the chief legal officer who handles civil claims against the city. So I guess... They end up calling in ADA Pippa Cox, who must be the corporation counsel, to ask her, like, what's the best course of action here? Because this is almost like an adult crime where you could charge one of them as an adult, but the, it's a living victim. The girls are under 14. I don't know what the rules are. So Carisi goes to Charlie and he goes, you know, you, I know you're crazy, but you're not paranoid. And he wants to get him into a program onto some meds. He's like, we can't just like let you back out into the woods. And Charlie's like agrees. He's like, I can do that for a little while. So hopefully, you know, some peace is going to come to Charlie because ultimately he was a good guy who was just helping a little girl. OK, so now we're in an interrogation room with Mia. And this is my favorite kind of interrogation on on SVU when it's like raining outside and dark and there's lightning. Like, I just think it's like, like, I don't know. I love the feeling of it. So it's like spooky and fun. And I also like when it's pouring rain, but you're dry inside. I think Rosie's um, rubbed off on you. Oh, because she likes saying spooky now. Oh, yeah. You can't stop. Well, this episode did come out around Halloween. It's supposed to be a Halloween episode. And, you know, Halloween is for spooky times. Um, yes, but my kid is all the time saying, is that spooky to me? So she's trying to figure out the definition of spooky. <laughs> um, okay, so they're interrogating Mia. She's like, I just thought we were going to leave Zoe in the woods and scare her. And I'm like, that's also terrifying, like, to do that to your little sister. Like, when you live in New York City... To bring your kid, or even if you live anywhere, we're just going to bring my sister into the woods and leave her there. And that just I seems can see that. so scary. You could see that happening? Yeah. You don't have a little sister. I wouldn't have done that to my little sister. No, I don't think my sister would have done it to me either, but I don't think it's like that crazy to be like, oh yeah, let's just... Because I remember we did have a friend um, who was scared of the cemetery and we tried to plan like a way to drop her in there at night or something, <laughs> but it, we couldn't, like we didn't, but I could... 
I just don't think it's that crazy. I think bringing them in there and kind of like hiding from them is one thing, but like to leave them there, that seems like, I don't know, that seems really harsh. I'm not advocating for it. I am just Lisa, it really sounds like you're telling people to leave children in the woods. That's kind of what I'm getting from you right now. That's the vibe. So And like think- woods in New York, how big are they? They're pretty big. <laughs> this is a primeval forest. Doesn't that scare you? Just the idea of a primeval forest leaving a nine-year-old? I don't know. I don't know what primeval means. I told you a primeval forest just means it's like an untouched forest. It hasn't been like manicured. It's not like Central Park with like a, you know, a lot of boathouses and cute little freaking like ice skating rinks. Well, I would never say Central Park is a forest. Okay. Where do we go from here? I'm just telling you, I don't think leaving a nine-year-old in a primeval forest, which seems like a very dense forest, is a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea, but I do understand that it's like a kid (laughs) prank. You know, I could see it happening without it being like, these bitches need to go to jail, you know? Okay. The stabbing is what takes me over the edge. The stabbing, (laughs) yeah, I would say the stabbing is a heightening, um, (laughs) to put it in improv terms. Um, So they're like, well, why did you bring a knife? And Mia's like, I didn't bring a knife. Perry brought a knife. She brought one for her and one for me, and it was for protection. And then basically the lawyers are like, they need to know whose idea this was. And Mia completely flips. She's like, it was all Perry's idea. She hit Zoe on the head with a rock. She told me to stab Zoe, but I wouldn't do it. She went crazy and just started stabbing Zoe. And there was so much blood. Um, Mia says, Perry said she would kill me if I didn't do what she said. Blonde mom is like, something's always been off about that girl. And I'm like, and you're just mentioning that now. Perry takes uh, the knife and the camera, threw them away, made Mia cover her sister with the leaves and then held a knife to her throat. And she's like, forget about Zoe. We're going to Glasgow man's mansion. And she said her eyes were bugging out and she looked like a maniac. So now we're talking to Perry and she's like, it wasn't my idea. I was simply following orders. Glasgow man's orders. Like she says, he comes to me at night. We communicate. He stared into my eyes and told me my mission. If I failed, he was going to take my breath away at midnight and I had to prove my loyalty. This is all very like YA novel type stuff. And she basically said her instructions were to take innocent blood, which is Zoe. Um, And that's how you get to be a proxy. I guess that just means one of Glasgow man's people. So when Zoe was lying there bleeding, Perry says, I didn't feel Glasgow man's presence. I started to doubt myself. And that must be why he switched up the plan. He led us to this gatehouse in the form of a cat. I knew it was him. He had Glasgow man's eyes and he told her to murder Mia. She goes, the cat was glaring at me so powerfully trying to make this hypnotic connection. I couldn't take it. (laughs) Like, I just think the way she's talking as a 13 year old is kind of funny. Um, And then she stabbed the cat through the heart because she didn't want to kill her friend. The mom is like freaking out. This is horny mom. She's like freaking out. I, I've never heard her talk like this before. Like, this isn't my daughter. Now we meet ADA Peppa Cox. She says this girl's clearly not competent to stand trial. And then I think what's the key is what Olivia says, which is there was no sign of this behavior until she knew we were on to her. So she, like she knows right and wrong well enough to have a cover story for this Glasgow man shit, you know? And they're like, well, is there any proof of conspiracy emails, texts, like premeditated planning of this crime? And they say, no. And then they're like, we'll order a psych eval and take it from there. And so now we're at family court. Uh, Perry is testifying, saying 
that Glasgow man promised they would live in his mansion and have a true life. And she said that she wouldn't stab her friend and that her body got hot and she could feel her blood swirling inside of her. And so she stabbed herself to let the blood cool off, which I do think sounds like, remember we talked about like how that, that, that other crime, that kid like stuck a stick up the kid's butt to try to like get his heart to stop or to start working again. Like kids just have crazy ideas. Like, of how the body works. Like I feel hot. I should cool off my blood by stabbing myself. You know what I mean? It's like weird. Kid. Okay. Yeah. Kid anatomy. Okay. I yeah. thought maybe you'd have a comment, but no, um, I'm on board with everything you're saying. <laughs> so she says, do you know, did you know stabbing Zoe was wrong? And she said, no, the police were wrong. Them entering Glasgow man's realm made the world an unbalanced place. And Glasgow man's partners from the other realms are going to come back seeking vengeance. We're all going to die. I mean, she sounds very QAnon, to be honest with you. Like, she's really like, she's really like, you need to open your eyes and see what the truth is. Um, So the judge has basically heard enough. She says family court is meant to be therapeutic, not punitive. Wouldn't it be cool if that was true of all court to be therapeutic and not punitive? Um, She rules that Mia was also a victim and declares her not responsible. And she recommends, you know, weekly psychiatric care for Mia and Zoe. And then she says, Perry, based on your testimony, I'm remanding you to a psychiatric facility to remain until you're no longer deemed a threat to yourself or others. Rollins and Carice are headed to the elevator after the trial. And they're kind of just like arguing over whether justice was served. And Carice kind of like, I mean, this is good. This is how it should have worked out, you know. And then when they get in the elevator, Mia and Perry also get in. Probably not realistic. They get in with their parents and like the cop that has Perry arrested and everything. And then Carisi looks down and sees these two girls, Mia and Perry, link their little pinky fingers together for a couple seconds. And then he's like making an incredulous face and he sees that Rollins doesn't see it. And he's like, wait a second. And then we fade to Dick Wolf. So they did trick everyone. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, like this was this seemed like a yeah, a story. That they set up. They nailed it. Yeah. As Nicole Byer says. <laughs> Famously. Um, but let's uh, take a quick break. And then Lisa, I can't wait for you to tell me about the real crime. Okay. So um, this real crime What's wild is so much in the episode is exactly the crime. Like the words ballistic are used in this case. The stab wound missed the victim's artery by the thickness of a hair, like half a millimeter. And so that's connected. Um, Just there's just a lot of connections between the case and it happened within the same year and it's like pretty fucking wild i love when it gets really close um and i will just say you know also like the show the girl does not die which is amazing and i like that now sorry yeah. if you were if you liked the suspense if this kid is dead or not <laughs> sorry if you were hanging on waiting for a child death um. <laughs> 
but she is alive, which is really happy, Um, which is uh, that's not proper, but it's a good thing. So there is a Slenderman um, documentary HBO put out in 2017. This this case happened in 2014. And then obviously, so the documentary ends before sentencing and all of that stuff. And so. Obviously, I have more information. The documentary was awesome and it was actually really, really scary. And I would watch it at night and two nights in a row, I had to pause it and stop and watch The Simpsons because Slender Man is fucking scary. Like he is creepy looking. <laughs> um, I was getting uh, nervous during my research and this documentary, like I'm going to kind of follow their pattern and the way it was basically like current time mixed with the past so it was like um you would see them in interrogation and then you would see them in court and then you would see the parents dealing with it as it's happening so like the documentaries mixed together with their interrogation the day it happened like immediately and then it cuts to like the parents talking about it while their kids are incarcerated and it goes back and forth and it's it's done very well so um i might be going from like six months post arrest to exactly what's happening in interrogation, um, because that's just what's up. So if you're confused, that's what's happening. So this happened May 31st, 2014. This is in Waukesha, Wisconsin, a suburb of Milwaukee. Um, a 12 year old female is stabbed. And at 950 in the morning, a concerned citizen called the police. Now, I saw an interview with this concerned citizen on 2020 and he was bicycling on a roped off course. So like he wasn't even supposed to be on this path. It There was a rope that said, do wow. not enter. And he was like, fuck it. And went bicycling. So like it's by chance universal, like what the fuck that she was yeah. even found because um, he shouldn't have been there. And he called the police and you can even tell the dispatcher was like horrified. Like, the guy was like a 12 she looks she's 12 and she's been stabbed and the operator is like stabbed stabbed like they like she can't even believe it either so it was wild so then the search begins for the other two girls anisa Ware, she's a brunette and morgan geyser blonde i might be calling them brunette and blonde throughout but it's <laughs> anisa brunette morgan blonde and um so they're looking for these girls you know uh, sky and cars um and so the log line of what happened is they lured her into the woods and left her for dead they used a five inch blade and stabbed her 19 times Wow. Like fact that Peyton survived is insane um and Peyton is also called bella so her name is Peyton, uh, but she had a nickname and they called her Bella a lot. So oh, it's interchangeable. That's like what she went by with her friend group. And when they asked who did this to you, she said, my best friend. Ugh. So this isn't a stranger. And these girls have been best friends for years. Um, and then. So Morgan and Peyton, best friends for years. And then Anissa is. um 
like Peyton didn't really know her, but Morgan and her were very, very close. And Anissa had no friends at all. She was a dork and Morgan um, befriended her and they became friends. And Anissa was just so happy to have a friend. She really didn't get along with many people um, and was a loner and um, was really desperate for friends. And because she didn't have any friends, that's why she was so into the Internet and fantasy worlds and like the internet was her friend and so there's a website called creepy pasta wiki and i guess it was really cool it is just like wild thinking about something as silly as creepy pasta led to a full-on stabbing yes but it is true and creepy pasta is like scary stories so people just put really scary stories on and a scary story that became popular is called slender man and he's like a tall thin man he's a faceless ghoul and um basically he's like it's kind of like it follows where once he gets you, you will never escape him. He will always follow you for the rest of your wow. life. You can't summon him. He just arrives and then you can't get rid of him. Um, and he has tentacles that come out from his back and can choke you. Yeah, I remember when this case came out, like I specifically was very interested in it. And also when it actually happened. Also, my sister's nickname is Creepy. So we were very into we were very into co- talking about creepy pasta and calling her creepy pasta but um i remember thinking that the images were really really freaky like when they were posting just slenderman stuff on blogs and stuff i was like like i just i don't know he is creepy and then um it's kind of like in glasgow man where he's like bad but also he is an escape so if you're a kid who hates your life and thinks school sucks and you have no friends you kind of want to go with slender man and escape this sad reality right. you have. so to some they wanted to be with slender man and then to most i think they were scared of him um and there's a lot of like photoshop photos that i can understand why a child would be tricked of like black and white photos with slender man behind a tree in the distance or like away right. and then people made videos there's tons of videos on the site of like kids running with found footage and seeing slender man so i can imagine someone being like i've seen the photos you know uh, right it's i don't think it's that shocking to for a kid to believe something like this i thought hocus pocus witches were gonna fly out of my toilet every time i flushed it you know like <laughs> kids are wild i thought bob from twin peaks lived in my basement so yeah yeah, for a while I was scared of Batman and I was too scared to go to the bathroom and I would pee behind my family couch and I got in trouble. <laughs> what? Yeah, because I was home alone a lot and I was just like terrified to go to the bathroom. So I would squat behind the couch and pee. Um, I mean, I was caught, but um, <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah, I it just I was scared of going. I was scared. Now, so that's like the background. Um, Now we're back to reality. So we have Peyton's at the hospital and they're looking for these girls. And the girls were found walking near the interstate and they were on their way to Slender Man's mansion. And like their goal of walking, like, I don't think they understood distances. And that's what brings them back to child because like they committed very heinous crimes that were premeditated and very planned out. But they also don't understand that the forest they were going to they were trying to go to is a four to five hour drive. Oh my God. So they like, would have been walking forever. <laughs> like- yeah. So like they left her 
and then started this walk that would have taken days, I would say. I mean, I don't know about you can do the math problem if you really want. I don't I'm not going to do it. Um, There's like tons of interrogation videos. And as an SVU watcher, I'm just like, shut your mouth, get a lawyer, don't tell them anything. They're not on your side. But fun fact, in Wisconsin, you do not need an adult present to interrogate a child. Which is crazy because that's part of making a murderer when they in, when they were interviewing his nephew who had like a very low IQ and probably should definitely have had a parent with him. He confessed to all this stuff that later he's like, that's actually just stuff I read in the book, Kiss the Girls. I've read that book. Yeah. And so I was a big James Patterson girl. <laughs> um yeah. And um, so they didn't wait for any parents. They did get their Miranda rights written to them. But yeah, the girls just like confessed everything. They were in separate rooms, obviously. Um, but they both said basically Slender Man made us do this. Well, they said a lot of stuff. We'll get into okay. everything. Oh, okay. But they were very honest and it was Slender Man. And it seems like they truly believe Slender Man. So it's like they had to do this or Slender Man was going to kill them and their families. Um, And they had to do it for Slender Man. And then like Morgan said, I didn't want to do this, but she was scared what would happen if she didn't. That's what they kept saying. So like they had to do this to keep their families safe. And they asked the cop, like, did you believe the girls when they said that they believed in Slender Man? And the officers did say yes. Like these girls fucking believed it. It it wasn't um, a cover story or anything like that. Like they believed it. And um, yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit different in the episode because you don't get the feeling that Mia is fully on board with the Slender Man shit at all or the Glasgow Man stuff. Like, no, into it enough to leave her sister stabbed in the woods. But yes. <laughs> yes. For her friend's attention. Um, and then in the in the courtroom uh, in the future, the cop, one of the cops that was interrogating asked um, if Morgan was remorseful. And he says, no, like she had no remorse or no emotions. Right. At all. I remember reading that. And then what's like hard about this documentary is you see them as like young children yeah it's just like sad to see a little kid playing a colorful xylophone and being a baby with her parents and then all of a sudden you just know that she's like stabbing people um and it's really hard and it's really hard to watch the parents um talk and so morgan's mom did say that morgan uh didn't seem upset when Bambi's mom was killed and she knew something was up. Um, So like her daughter just didn't react to things like a normal child would. And it wasn't sad for things and didn't really have empathy for like, if they were watching something and something bad happened to the main character, she had no empathy for them. And the mom also said she knew that Morgan was into Slender Man, but didn't think anything of it. Like kids like scary stories. Right. Who cares? Like she never imagined her child thought that it was real. Um, She just was like, okay, I was into horror stuff. I like to read it when I was a kid. So why would I be nervous about this? Mm hmm. Um, And then Anissa was in the choir. She had a cat, pink bedroom, like all chill stuff. So Morgan and Anissa are both charged with attempted first degree murder. And Wisconsin law says they must be tried as adults and they face up to 65 years, which is so scary. So their lawyers obviously are arguing that they should be tried as children. 
What I wonder what makes it that they have to be charged as adults. The nature of the crime, I guess. I think so. Because I'll be honest, like throughout this whole thing, I know what happens to them. And we talked about it and it was very much like, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. Like they should not have to sit in jail for decades and decades for something they did at 12. But later, and I'll go into it when the judge is explaining why I understand where he's coming from. Uh, I still feel sad for everyone involved, but you all, I also watch interviews with like the, with Peyton and it, 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 Uh, it scarred her for life emotionally, mentally, and physically. So like, there's just a lot, but the judge basically was saying like, it's, it was premeditated. This was thought out and we have to think of the safety of people. We can't guarantee the safety of others with these people out in the world. And can I just ask one quick question? Yeah. Did they, did they take turns stabbing or did one person do the stabbing? No, one person did. So Anissa was like the ringleader in a way, but made Morgan do the stabbing. Oh, like okay. she said the word and went now. And then Morgan legit whispered into Peyton's ear. I'm so sorry. Like she didn't want to do this wow. um, and then just started stabbing her. I guess I, I don't know why I'm at, like there. I don't know why I'm like keeping tidbits. We find out um, Morgan does suffer from schizophrenia and so does her father. Yeah. So to her too, obviously the schizophrenia added to why she believed this so intensely. Um, and the father was like crying. He's so sad. And basically they were going to talk to Morgan eventually about schizophrenia and like there was a risk and the mom talks about it of course there was a risk because it is genetically passed down but the father hand I don't know if has a handle on it you know what I mean like he he was crying talking about it it's hard for him but he was a functioning member of society Mm -hmm. and he was able he goes it's really hard because you know it's not real you know the devil is not in the backseat of your car but it is real and you sense him and you feel him and you're scared he goes it's scary um and so you know it's not real but you can't help but feel the fear and the real life reactions to it um and the father's just crying a lot and uh, unfortunately morgan never talked about it so they didn't even know she was suffering for it from it and so it is really sad um and she talks about how she's had visions since she was three years old and she didn't talk about it with anybody so like And now when she's incarcerated, the parents can't really discuss it with her either. And so they're really sad about it. But um, yeah, the schizophrenia definitely added to the believability. So they stabbed her a bunch. And then Peyton got up and was trying to walk to the main road. And they said, no, lay down. It'll slow down the release of blood and we'll go get help. But they had no intention of getting help. So their intention was to leave her dead in the woods. Yeah. And that that's intent Mm -hmm. and lying and manipulative. And they were going to leave her and not help her. And so it's like even after the fact, they weren't going to help her. And so I understand why the judge is like, nah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You don't get to be released. But I obviously understand why the defense attorneys were gunning for that. And that was like a year. So the case to just like appeal if they're charged as adults or not was a whole year. Um, And then they they were going to be tried. And this is kind of, you know, a coincidence because I'm a step getter. 
Uh, but Anissa asks the cops if they know how far she walked because she's usually not athletic, but wants to know how many, what her step count. So <laughs> that was like a little moment of funny <laughs> in this horrific sadness. But I liked that she wanted to count her steps. So outside of adult or child, the next issue in court is competency. And we see that in the episode with Pippa Cox. Like, can these kids even... Mm -hmm. Are they sane enough to stand trial? So going a little bit backwards, like I said, you know, I'm going to go back and forth through things as like how the doc went. And then I have other resources I'm putting in here, but I'm just going in the order. And so basically how they all hung out is Anissa's parents say there was like a sleepover for Morgan's 12th birthday. They had an amazing sleepover. They had a fun breakfast all together. And then the girls asked to go to the park. Nothing is strange here. You know, it's everything is up to code. They are best friends. They're going to the park and then they were going to do it. They go to the bathroom and the plan was to do it in the bathroom first and have the blood drain into the sink. Like that's the, that's why the judge was like, you're this is too yeah. thought out. Like they had all they had so many plans of like how to leave the body, how not to get caught, like all of this stuff. And then it didn't work out in the bathroom. And then they're like, let's go to the woods. And then that's like when it happened but they like in the interview with Peyton she's like yeah we went to the park like whatever you know like nothing was um no red flags yeah. no red flags and Morgan was saying that Anissa said we had to do this or he would our slender man would kill our families and like she didn't know that much about slender man but Anissa did and so when you add Anissa's fascination with slender man with Morgan's schizophrenia that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Because it sounds like neither of them, it sounds like they were both in a way a little bit out of touch with reality in terms of what a death actually means, like, or like taking someone's life. Morgan's mom was saying how Morgan like believed in Santa till she was 11 and like the Easter Bonnie and all of that's that. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think that there's necessarily like a normal, like not normal, but I don't think there's like typical development going on with ideas and concepts with these girls or at least or maybe at least with Morgan like where yeah like to say sorry to someone and then stab them it's like implies that you don't really understand how your how your actions are are create are having an effect on someone so Richard Dawkins um was explaining how like what's the benefit of being a believer and it's like um, it's the feeling that you're special and you're a part of something just by believing it. Like you don't even have to put in that much effort. Like suddenly you're in this group of people just because you believe in Slender Man. Right. And for people who have not found their people or not found that in their life, that's huge, you know? Yeah. And the whole thing he was explaining, it's behind folk belief is you can't prove without a shadow of a doubt that Slender Man isn't real. So like you can't and that's like with God, like you can't prove he's not real. So then that proves that he is or whatever, like if, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. So that's how like folk beliefs uh, grow. Like we can't judge these girls when people go to church every Sunday. Like, sorry, um, <laughs> there were crusades. There were burnt witches like it happens all the time. OK, so we'll get into the details. So on the stand during the trial was Michael, Dr. Michael Caldwell, a psychologist, and he gave them also uh, he said that the girls, they had schizotopy, 
Um, it took me a lot of pausing and Google it. And like, even Google was like, we don't know what you're trying to say. We cannot help you. So Uh, what is schizotopy? It is the diminished capacity to know the difference between what is real and not real. Well, there we go. Yeah. It's a personality disorder characterized by thought disorder, paranoia, and a form of social anxiety, derealization, um, and yeah, psychosis and, uh, that's what it is. And people with this feel pronounced discomfort when forming and maintaining social connections with other people. And it's very common for these types of people to be into the paranormal and like have a lot of superstitious beliefs. Mm-hmm. And adults can have spiritual or like I mentioned, like you can have uh, you can be spiritual or believe in all these conspiracy theories and live out your lives with no problems. So. He doesn't think Anissa is a psychopath or sociopath at all and has no signs of it. So we get to Morgan diagnoses and um, Dr. Kenneth Casimir is um, giving it up. And it's schizophrenia and oppositional defiant disorder. And she had asthma, which I don't know why they needed to add that on the stand, but cool. Um, Also, during the trial, Morgan still seemed really scared of Slenderman. Like she was scared that something she would say would make him angry and he would kill her and her family. So like even in court, she was terrified of this guy. So like nothing that anybody is saying to her is getting through to her that this is not real. Yeah. And that's the thing where I think the mom was explaining she does think Morgan understands no one else sees what she sees, mm-hmm. like her visions, but they are real to her. But she is aware enough to know it. other people aren't seeing it. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but it is what it is. Um, and then we uh, in the doc get to talk to David Janish and he's a private investigator and he searched her room and in the bedroom, he found journals and pieces of papers with drawings and writing all co- pertaining to Slenderman, um, like drawings that said he will find you, um, colored pencils that like it just said no, 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 over and over again with drawings of Slenderman. She had things that said the pain is inside. I want to die. Help me escape my mind. She had like satanic Barbies with pentagrams on it and like would cut off its limbs. So like hands and feet were cut off. Um, and that was all found in her bedroom. Ooh, okay. And if you ask Morgan, like, what if Slenderman doesn't exist? She does not tolerate that kind of discussion. She knows it is true. It can't be proven untrue. Go fuck yourself. So she is not um, willing to discuss, like, maybe if Slenderman is not real. Um, And then a corrections officer actually testifies um, during this as well. And she said that Morgan, while incarcerated in juvenile detention, um, said it had to be done. The man ordered it. She said the man started to visit her when she was three years old. Um, She believed she communicated with him telepathically and she had to do what he demanded to her or her family wouldn't be safe. Now, this is Morgan, but I thought I thought that Anissa was more into Slender Man. 
that's what was said in towards the beginning. I mean, that's kind of the thing where like they were both pretty honest during the interrogations, but then there were these moments of like, she wanted it more. No, she told me what to do. No, that. So, yeah. And it sounds like Morgan may have just been having visual hallucinations like her whole life, like from the age of three. And then like when she heard about Slenderman, she's like, oh, that's who this is. Like, that you know, just seeing some kind of figure your whole life and then kind of just melding it together with this new thing you're learning about. Yeah, it definitely took over her life. Um, and then there again, this is like I get, like how the two girls' stories differ a little. Anissa said that after they did it, that she cried and said, "I want to go home." And then Morgan said, "You can't tell anyone because you'll spend your life in prison or get executed." And then blamed Morgan for everything and said, "Well, you stabbed her. You wanted this." Um, and Morgan's aware of what's happening. Like in interrogation, she does ask the officer, are you going to put me in prison? And am I going to rot and die? And then on Anissa's phone, there was a goodbye letter. Like, please don't remember me for this. And like, just kind of suicide style letter. But I don't know if it's because she knew she was going to go to jail. And it was like, please forgive me. Bye. Peace out. I'm going to jail or suicide. It does sort of sound like they didn't want to. It's like they had to like or, you know, they were scared of what this man was going to do. Yeah, you're right. I don't. Yeah, they didn't have bloodlust. Like, I don't right. think they. But are. But they are dangerous. Like, I wouldn't want to live in the neighborhood with these girls for sure. But it's just, it's interesting that they're not just like, yeah. What would it be like to kill someone? They're just like, well, this is the order we were given from our supreme master, and we have to do it, or he'll kill our whole family. You know. Yeah, and so it took a like I said, it took a year to decide if they were going to be tried as adults and children. And we touched on this already, but the judge in the court basically finds that it was violent, premeditated, personal offense, and a decision made to let the victim die. Um, it was an effort to kill someone, not attempted like a mistake. This wasn't oh I pushed them and they fell down the stairs. They made an effort to kill someone. And he said, I know they're young, but they will get older every year. And what do you do when they're 18 to keep the public safe? And that was the critical factor in the judge. The offense was so vicious and there needs to be assurance it won't happen again. And it is a serious offense that is needs to be dealt with on a serious basis for protections for all. But I don't like that they're charged as adults. It's really hard. Like, I don't I see it. I feel it. I'm like, fuck, yeah, judge. And then I'm like, damn, I don't know. Yeah, because when we were talking about it before all the research and all of this, it, we did talk like, come on, why so long? The girl lived. Who cares? You know, like, no. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily who now. cares, but like. You know, the girl did live and they were so young. I mean, like to me, it's like there's a big difference between like 12 and like 16 or 17. Like that's still under 18, but you're like more mature. And like, I don't know, 12 is like still so just a kid to me. Yeah. Like what if the, like they might have not even had their periods like. Young. Right. Right. But that guy, um, the case with the episode of with conscience, he got life, right? Yeah, he keeps getting paroled, but he keeps getting parole opportunities, but didn't being denied. And, and so he was young. Yeah, he was really young and he's 40 now in his 40s now and still in prison. What shocking to me is that the person has a, like a mental health diagnosis and is still being sort of kept for so long, like uh, that it's like she wasn't being treated at the time. So it's like now that she's could be treated. That's a really good point. And 
they like Morgan pleaded guilty. And then the court found her not guilty because of reason of mental disease or defect. Mm -hmm. And she is put in a mental institution Mm -hmm. for 40 years. So in terms of getting care, it's not a prison. Like she's getting care, but it doesn't change anything. I was also reading that she was the youngest person in her facility. And I can't imagine that that's like an easy road. No. Well, now I'm just thinking about it in terms of orange is the new black. And like, I hope the women are taking care of her or is it, but they're in juvie until 18. Oh, was that how it was? They were in juvenile detention until 18 and then they were moved to a mental facility. No, 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 no. Like Morgan was being held at a state hospital and Anissa remained in custody at the County jail for juveniles. Oh, like they're not it. just putting a 12 year old in with like hardened, right. like right. F- f- 25 year olds, but. And then Anissa got 25 years and eligible for release in 2020. She was denied, Um, but she can appeal again in June. And Anissa was charged as an adult with an attempted first degree intentional homicide in June 2014. But as part of her plea, the court lowered the charge to attempted second degree intentional homicide and um, took her insanity defense to the jury. And she's been in the Winnebago Mental Health Institute since she was sentenced in December 2017. Um, Bella on 2020 said she's not scared of their eventual release, um, but she does sleep with a pair of broken scissors under her pillow just in case. I'm just happy Peyton is alive and doing okay. Yes. Bella. Truly a miracle that she is alive. Yeah. Thank God for that off-road bicyclist. Like the knife cut the tissue of her heart, but not the artery. Wow. Um, all right. Well, let's let that sink in and take a little break and we'll be back with our guest. Okay, now it is time to talk to our very special guest. We were so happy to talk to this actor. Um, You guys have seen her on tons of shows, Criminal Minds, Parenthood, Chicago Med. Um, She also has played the role of Katie in three of the Paranormal Activity movies, Spooky. And she played the creepy Glasgow man devotee herself, Perry Gilbert. Please check out our chat with Chloe Changri. So wait, so where are you? Are you? I'm actually in California. So I'm originally from Houston, but I go to college out here. So I'm in my little apartment in Northridge, California. Were you living in Houston and then sending tapes or were you moving around sending audition? Like how did your early career work? Um, So I started traveling to LA when I was around nine years old with my mom. But most of the time we would just come to LA for three months at a time and then go back to Texas. So when I auditioned for Law & Order, I was in Houston and I sent in a self-tape for it. Wow. And you were young, so I'm assuming you never watched it. (laughs) I was, um, when I auditioned for that, I was a freshman in high school, so I was 14 years old. So yeah, like we get some listeners that are like, I've been watching the show since I was 10, but it is a little (laughs) young. Like, did you ever watch the show before you uh, were on it? I had not, but my dad is 
the biggest SVU fan <laughs> in the whole entire world. I and love it's your dad. He's a, he's a dentist in my small town. So when I booked the role, my mom usually goes with me on set, but my dad was like, I am taking two weeks off work. I am going to New York. I am going with Chloe for this one. Oh my God. I love it. He's like, let him get cavities. I'm going to meet Benson. <laughs> exactly. I love it. That's so funny. So was he geeking out on set? What was his experience like? Oh my God. He was fangirling <laughs> so hard. He was absolutely in love with the whole experience trying to talk to every single person i'm like dad i'm on set like you're like dad leave ice tea alone <laughs> yeah he was like can i have a photo oh my god can i have a photo i'm like dad come on please don't <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny i love that so tell like what was the general vibe on set like you were so young like when we were talking about how normally when a guest star comes on they're usually like alone or maybe there's another guest star but like you were on with like these two other girls that were like your age did you guys all get along did you do you keep in touch oh we do <laughs> yeah i actually still me mina and una still follow each other on instagram um but we all became super close during filming and i had never been to new york it was my first time there and mina and una are both from new york so on, I think our second day of filming, Mina was supposed to go to a Broadway show with her parents. And she was like, how about you come with me? So she let me come to the Broadway show with her just so we could like bond and get to know each other. And it was amazing. We saw Adina Menzel, which was incredible. But wow. yeah, the girls on set were amazing. We definitely all got along really well, which I think made it a lot easier because we were all so young. So it made it easier when we were on set because we were all friends. That's so great. Well, yeah. this is jumping ahead, but what, you know, what is your theory? Who was in charge? Who did it? We <laughs> I, saw the pinky thing. What was the plan? I go back and forth on this, but I genuinely think that they believed in Glasgow Man, that Perry mm -hmm. and Mia believed in it. But once they realized that they were getting caught, I think they devised a plan. Okay, I, Perry's going to act like I'm crazy. I'm going to act like I'm crazy. And you pretend like I made you do everything. So then I can get off go to a mental institution and you just get to go off and be with your family. So you were only like 14 when you shot this. Did mm -hmm. you care about like any of the other cast members that you saw? Were you like excited to see any of them or were you just like, who are all these old people? I honestly <laughs> had not watched the show. So I didn't know who they were, but then it was so bad because after I was on the show, I started watching it and then I became the biggest SVU fan. I've seen every single episode <laughs> and I was like, God, why did I not like fully taken that experience when I was there? Like now I'm obsessed with all of these people. That's amazing. Yeah, um, do, you, I, do you find Carisi attractive? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, come on. He's so cute. He's so cute. His character's so sweet. How can you not like him? Yeah. Well, I'm like, I think he's very hot and Kara's. I'm like, he's oh. okay, whatever. <laughs> he's not man candy for you. Yeah, I'm more into um some of the other guys on the show. But uh I, you know, I get the Carisi thing for people. I really do. <laughs> I just think his accent is a little bit dorky for me. It, it, yeah, his accent's a little much, but it's part of the charm, <laughs> I think. Let's talk about when you're on the stand and you get those tears flowing. How did that work? <laughs> How did you I mean? I guess you'd been acting since you were like seven or eight or something, but that still seems like you were, that was multiple tears you were pushing out without getting hysterical. I was actually, I have a kind of funny story about this. So when we were doing that scene, I was very nervous and I can cry on cue, but it's like, it's a little hard for me to get there. And I was on set and I was really nervous. I was shaking a little and we had done a few takes and I was just having kind of a hard time getting there. 
And Mershka came up to me, looked me in the eyes and she goes, you're going to cry on this take. I believe in you. And I was like, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do the next take. I start crying. And after we like cut the scene, she is running around the sound stage. Yes. Oh my God. My girl, that was incredible. <laughs> ah. I freaked out. I was like in my head, like, Oh my God. <laughs> like she just looked me in the eyes and started talking to me. Wow. What a magical yeah. woman. Right. Yes. She's incredible. Tell us about the paranormal activity movies. Cause that's like a big thing for you. Right. Yeah. And like, I can barely watch a horror movie now and I'm a full grown woman. And like, you're 11 years old in these horror movies. Well, so we watched the trailer. Well, I was watching, she started it, watching the trailer and but going, I started oh my God. Uh, and I was like, what are you watching? She I was scared. Paranormal activity three. And I was like, she's the main person. You're the main like, I mean, it looks, so, I jumped like four times just in the trailer. <laughs> it's Paranormal, scary. Yeah, it, it was definitely on set. It was not scary at all. And I think now I'm so susceptible to not being scared watching horror films because I was on that set and I did three of those movies. So they just make it such a fun environment on set and everything's like in special effects afterwards. So when you're on there, it's just completely normal. Um, I remember in the Bloody Mary scene where the ghost is supposed to be banging on the door. It was just one of the ADs and he was just banging on the door. <laughs> so it's not scary at all, which is the scariest scene in the film. But for me, I'm like, oh, it's this big guy just banging against the door. It's not terrifying. Wow. What scared me was um, like some the they poured a water and the ghost was there oh was, yeah, yeah yeah that was a good one. <laughs> oh, yeah like when they do paint or whatever yeah um we obviously were stalking you a little bit on your wikipedia and everything and we noticed that your 21st birthday is coming up in a few months it you're is. the youngest person we've spoken to on our podcast am i really yes you're honored but you don't feel like we're talking to I, we don't you don't <laughs> feel like we're talking to somebody who's super young you feel like an old soul oh thank you <laughs> But we want to know what your 21st birthday plans are. Okay. I think I'm actually going to be back in Texas because I go home for the summer. So I'm hoping to, my parents said that they're maybe going to fly down some of my best friends from LA to come down to Texas. So hopefully we'll go to a few bars in downtown Houston, maybe a few clubs down there. All but right. because I mean, Texas is completely open now, which is very weird, but, um, I got my and by first July, vaccine the other day. I mean, exactly. I'll be fully vaccinated by then. I love how close you are with your parents. I would never celebrate my 21st birthday with my parents. <laughs> Actually, I did. Never mind. I did. I did. I did. I did. Um, <laughs> I forgot. But they are you're close with them. Extremely close. Like my mom is my best friend. She had done acting with me since I was nine years old. I owe everything to my parents. I've worked with a lot of girls who were like Disney girls when they were younger and stuff. And mm -hmm. they would come to LA with their moms and they're so close with their mom. I think when you like come to LA to like, yeah. do you guys live in like those furnished apartments in Burbank that everybody lives in? <gasps> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like I feel like you're just there with your mom and you're like, hope I get this audition. You're running lines with your mom. Like you better be friends with your mom or it's not going to end How'd up How'd you great. know about those apartments? I just said my, for my Disney friends. Oh, okay. <laughs> Where every child actor has lived. It's like a classic place. We lived in this really tiny apartment one time and it was one room with, it was a studio and I had a little um, bed right by the bathroom. So every time my mom would get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, it would wake me up because my head is literally right where the toilet is. <laughs> so that was probably one of the worst apartments we've stayed in. <laughs> <laughs> but sacrifices for the art, I it, guess, yep, right? You got to do it. 
Okay, wow. I love talking to her. It's so nice to talk to a young, a young soul. She's so young, not even 21 yet. No, it makes me feel confident in her future. Yeah, same. I love talking to like a young 20, 19 year old person or whatever who just has like a great head on their shoulders and is not like all about fucking TikTok. And I want to meet her dad. Yeah, <laughs> and her dad. Huge, huge fan. <laughs> I want to meet her dad. Mr. Chendry, what up? <laughs> Listen, what did we learn? The internet's evil. <laughs> Creepypasta is not for me. I learned that, but I learned that a long time ago. I actually did go on Creepypasta. I don't know if I mentioned that. Like when it, when this case first happened, I, my sister and I went and checked it out. We were like, this is too much. But yeah, I guess it's just like keep an eye on what your kids are watching and make sure they have a healthy sense of reality versus make believe yeah. or imagination and don't stab your friends. Yeah. Don't stab your friends, you guys. And also, yeah, like if you're 13, like the chances of you outwitting the cops are super, super slim. So I, I just wouldn't take the bet. I don't know if you're 13 and listening to this podcast and considering committing a heinous crime, but I would just I mean, watch a few more seasons of SVU and figure <laughs> some shit out. Oh, I learned what an what is it? An unkept forest is uh, a primeval forest. I learned about that. That's <laughs> exciting. What an unkept forest is. I learned about primeval, um, and it sounds like something different. It sounds like a haunted forest, but it just means not chopped up. Yeah, not used for paper. Yeah, they haven't put a boathouse with um, a Sauvignon Blanc in it yet. Oh, we learned that Olivia Benson has one of the best babysitters with the most flexible schedule and no life of her own. <laughs> Like, honestly, um, yeah, drop take the source, a day Olivia. <laughs> Were you using care.com, Sitter City? What are we talking about here? I need to know. I need to get a babysitter that I can literally call at 3 a.m. and say, get over here. Like, she needs to have a, a plan B babysitter. It can't always be Lucy. Like, that's my <laughs> issue. There just needs to be another. Right. There right. Needs, it, it's just not realistic. I have 10 babysitters names in my phone. And I have one kid and I've been mostly in a pandemic my whole life as a mom. So like you definitely have to have a plan B baby. Are you sad when you have to call number eight or do you still trust them? <laughs> I actually haven't had to. I'm mostly my my top two or three are available. Yeah. Babysitting. So <laughs> wild. Also, like, don't leave your sister behind. Oh, my God. Don't leave your sister in the woods at night <laughs> in New York City. That's just not I don't think that that's uh, that's not cu a cute prank. No, and then also when your other sisters are missing, stop keeping secrets. Spill the beans. <laughs> Spill the beans. Like, what is going on? Also, um, keep your cell phone close by. Have an Apple Watch. You know, like, I know you want to play sex games with your boyfriend, but just keep an eye out on your kid. Yeah. And I think we can all take a lesson from Carisi about treating the unhoused like people and manipulating know. them to get them to do what you want. Well, <laughs> he just said, treat me like a man. And I feel like that's what Carisi tried to do. You know, he didn't treat him like he was like, they did lie to him a little bit. You're right. Someone online was like, um, I'm a Stabler fan, but I would want my sister to date Carisi. And mm -hmm. I thought that was a nice way of putting it. This was a great episode. It was Woodsy. It was a departure. You know, we always say in SVU, there aren't no comparisons of crimes, but you know, this is a chill one. The crimes weren't so heinous. 
Yeah, well, nobody did die, but, you know. No one it, died. It, it was just girls stabbing each other lightly. It was kind of, you know, But in lies. real life, yeah, in, in real life, somebody did. Oh, real did. life, it was bad. It was bad. Wait, and actually, somebody <laughs> did write us and told us that they had, like, a friend who was, like, tangentially involved in the case and, like, wasn't allowed to obviously tell her anything, but said that it, like, the real life case, like, gave her nightmares because it was one of the, there's stuff that's not been released about it, she said, that is, like, horrific. And like we like you just uh, would keep you up at night. Yeah, I I always mean the SVU episode was like obviously sure sure, sure of course. What of course. happened um, in Wisconsin is not chill. I'm right. not advocating for <laughs> any of that. Just not so, chill. Yeah, <laughs> as far as crimes go, but and you know, killers they're just like us. They're trying to get their steps into. <laughs> We're all working on. Oh yeah, fitness. when those girls thought they could walk like ten miles to the park. Um, well, you know, I think that we, we did we did speak about the real life girls involved in this case and how one of them uh, was a person suffering from schizophrenia. And so, um, for this week's what would Sister Peg do? Which is when uh, we direct you towards resources or articles or books or something to help you get more information about the topics we broached in today's episode. We thought we would focus on NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Uh, uh, it's N-A-M-I dot org. And it is the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization dedicated to, um, you know, building better lives for millions of Americans affected by mental illness. So go check out their page. There's a ton of resources um, on their website and um, you can get more information and things there. Thank you, Kara. You're welcome. That was um, really good information. <laughs> <sighs> well, let me take that again. Thanks, Kara. That was <laughs> Uh, okay. I <laughs> Back to you, Lisa. Kara, that was really informative. <laughs> Boom goes the dynamite. If you get that joke, you might be old. Okay. Um, did you get it, Kara? No. You don't know Boom Goes the Dynamite? What is it? It was like a really, really famous YouTube clip. And it was like um, a newscaster who was young. I don't know if it was like school news, like a university or um, like local news. But he just had a brain fart and couldn't get anything out. And he was like, uh, but like started stuttering and saying words that didn't make sense and just like truly lost it on air. And at the end goes, boom, goes the dynamite. And those are the only words he was able to cut, get out of his like stuttering. <laughs> It was I have awesome. never seen that, but I shall be looking it up right it now. It was awesome. Um, so we'll post that because it is one of the greatest uh, YouTube videos. Um, and next week, we're taking it back, baby. Um, we're going to do Execution Season 3, Episode 15. So please do your homework um, with your cute pets and good snacks. Um, you can watch all the episodes on Hulu and Peacock. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Daniel Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun, dun. dun. <laughs>